Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year. And each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. Sutanya Dakers is the author of Dinner for One, How Cooking in Paris Saved Me. Sutanya is the creator and host of the podcast Dinner for One, which has been featured in the New York Times and BBC Radio Hour, among other outlets. She has held a number of copywriting positions in New York City and Paris. Having grown up in New York City, she currently resides and cooks dinners for one in the Montmartre. Wasn't that good? Montmartre neighborhood of Paris. Dinner for One is her first book. Welcome, Sutanya. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Dinner for One, How Cooking in Paris Saved Me. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm very, very excited to be here. I'm sorry if you hear like a bunch of noise. For some reason, they decided today that 
now it's time to drill a bunch of holes in buildings. Don't you love that? I could barely hear it. My ears are so stuffed today that <laughs> I can barely hear you. So don't worry. <laughs> okay. How did Cooking in Paris Save You? Tell tell everyone what this book is about. Okay. So my book, Did It From Cooking in Paris Save You, blah, blah, blah. It is about how I use cooking dinner for one, so making these small dinners for one as a way to heal and overcome the challenge of like getting over my divorce. So I moved to Paris. I don't have a French accent. I don't know if that was clear or not, but my friend, I don't have a French accent. I'm very much an American living in Paris. And I moved here because I was married to a French man that I met at a bar in New York, Finelli's in Soho, if anyone's from Which, New York City. By the way, my brother <laughs> lived right above Finelli's for a while. So um, when I read so that, you know I was like, yeah. exactly where she is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, we met at Finelli's one night. So funny, the night before he's coming back to Paris and we, you know, kind of, we kept in touch, fell in love, got married, and then I moved to Paris. By the way, that was skimming through a lot of good stuff right there. <laughs> Just saying, you fast forwarded through some great scenes, but okay, go ahead. And then, yeah, we unfortunately got divorced, which happens. You know, I'm not the first person to be divorced, and I won't be the last. And I went through a period of um, self destructive behavior, and I started making these like small dinners for myself, and they really helped me. They put me on a path of just kind of understanding the importance of self-care and doing something nice for myself and taking care of myself and giving myself pleasure outside of just like, you know, other Frenchmen and drinking too much wine and all that, <laughs> other stuff that I was indulging in. So, also yeah. great scenes. <laughs> <laughs> and early on in your book, you started by talking about some orzo salad with, I don't know, feta and tomatoes. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. I'm already hungry. <laughs> You're this, this is great. <laughs> Actually, I didn't even realize till I got to the end that there were recipes yeah. in the back too. All of a sudden I was like, oh, yeah, so so. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a total surprise. And I am not even close to bold enough to try any of these, but it's nice that they're there. They're quite easy. I know. Really? <laughs> you know, the hard part is just getting into the kitchen with yeah, the ingredients. Yeah, like I yeah. can obviously do anything. I can follow a direction. Yeah. It might not be the most amazing thing. I don't like <laughs> improvise, but the hardest part is just being like, okay, today I'm going to make citrus fennel salad. And it's so easy. I know, but you already have like the fennel bulb cleaned in shape. That's already <laughs> like, I'm like, I know that is too hard. <laughs> I am okay, not going to do that. Fair, yeah, but I understand what you're saying. It's not like you know, you're not always reducing sauces and whatever. I don't know. No, very rarely do I reduce the sauce, so yeah. <laughs> well, on the way to getting together with who you call TFM, the French man, which is very funny, you meet him, you have this sort of relationship over text, email, whatever, and he says at some point, like, okay, this is great, but, you know, this, this is sort of useless. We're never going to see each other. Yeah. Why are we wasting our time? And so then all of a sudden you're like, well, I was going to go to Europe anyway. And you said, your friend, like, what do you say we swing through yeah. Paris? Yeah. Like, Paris yeah. is always a good idea. <laughs> Paris is always a good idea. Yeah. So, yeah, we were, we started this very strange, what I call like pen pal relationship, where we were emailing each other like every day. And I mean, I was getting these intense, like long emails from him that I would print out and I would read in my bed, just kind of like, oh, like I was reading a book. Um, and, you know, same with him. He's, Getting, I was sharing a lot um, via email because it was so easy to kind of, I guess, be ourselves because A, we never thought we were going to see each other. And B, we had the screen. Like we weren't even FaceTiming or anything, right? So we had this <laughs> screen just kind of protecting us. And yeah, I was getting my master's degree and I was going on a year trip with my roommates. That was my gift to myself. And I was like, yeah, well, I'm going to be in Europe anyway. Like, let's just go to Paris. And I came to Paris and it was like, honestly, four days of like this whirlwind 
just, I didn't, I had no expectations. This is the only time in my life I had zero expectations about anything. And um, it turned out to be my first marriage. So my <laughs> lesson there, just like fly to Europe to meet a man and then have no expectations. And also when he came to New York shortly after, I had no idea that he was going to come. You know, as I said in the book, he was just kind of like, were you serious about me coming to visit you? And I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, great, I'll be there tomorrow. And I was like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> What? <laughs> uh, we, were, we, were, we were we were very much in love with each other. And that was probably the hardest bit of the book to write because it happened such a long time ago. We met when I was 24, 37 now. I was writing the book between the ages of 35 and 36. Uh, or did I start at 34? I can't remember. But anyway, a couple of years ago, I started the book. So I hadn't thought about that. You know, no one talks about, they talk, no one's about rather their love story when they're getting a divorce. So I had to go back through emails. I've been keeping journals since I was like nine years old. So I had, and I have all those, I like took them, most of them from New York, but all of them from New York that I started prior to moving here. And that was, yeah, that was really hard because we were so in love and we were so naive and we had no idea of like, we had no idea what was ahead of us and we had no idea how much our differences were going to affect our relationship and our lack of understanding of each other and what we entered into and like just cultural differences and everything, you know, like love is difficult already when you, when it's with some, like loving someone is difficult when they're of your same culture, your same race, your same language, your same everything. And he was the complete opposite. <laughs> of everything that I have. So yeah, it's uh yeah, that was uh, the hardest part for me to write just going back through all that, but you, you say that Say lovey. Yeah, exactly. I can speak back to you in a terrible accent if you want. We could horrify anybody listening. I could. I feel like I took French for so long, including in college, until I realized that after freshman year, if I dropped French, then yeah. I wouldn't have class on Fridays at all. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, goodbye French. Yeah. You know, hello, yeah. conflict or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. now all I can remember to say is, est-ce que je peux tailler mon crayon? Which is like, can I sharpen my pencil? Which is completely useless. Essential vocabulary. Yeah. yeah. Essential yeah. vocabulary for when you visit Paris. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you write about being a black blogger mm-hmm. and then a single black blogger in Paris. And before that, you wrote about how you know, white privilege and what it was like being married to someone who goes through the world without having to think twice about anything and how that was different for you. And you even gave examples of what it was like in your workplace and how that was different and how you could take it for granted at sometimes. And you talked about like puffing up your chest and like striding through the world without a care in the world, basically. And, and how that kept coming back, like talk a little bit more about that. It was really interesting because my ex-husband and I didn't talk about race in any depth. I think because we'd never been in such serious relationships with people of other races, neither of us. And also we both were just kind of like, we're both from like big cosmopolitan cities. Like, obviously we're not racist. Like we don't think we're young. Like this is 2000 and when we met, it's like, well, we were together. It was between 2010 and 2016. Like we, you know, we're in the 21st century. Like we didn't talk about that. And it was also something that I, I don't know if it was because when I was younger, I, I, I grew up quite sheltered and I was really, in some ways, my parents try to really choose my ways carefully here. <laughs> they protected me. My, they protected me from 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 a lot of racism, from a lot of discrimination. Not because I think they wanted to present me with a false narrative of the world, but just they didn't want that clouding already how difficult it was to be a young woman, you know, living in this world. Um, so I also didn't have the vocabulary. I had the feelings, 
but I didn't have the vocabulary. And because there were so many differences, there were so many changes in my life, like moving to Paris, getting married, being married to a French Jewish man. I just, it was so hard for me to communicate what it felt like experiencing any kind of privilege based on something that I had no control over. So the privilege came from me being a Black American woman. If I was a Black woman from, you know, one of the former French colonies, my experience would be completely different. But because Americans, and especially Black Americans, are held in such high esteem in France, I, and to this day, I have access to certain echelons of French society. I, I don't feel like I don't belong anywhere. I don't feel like I should be questioned whenever I go anywhere. I feel like the world, like this French world is my oyster. And yeah, for a while, I was kind of like, is this how, not for a while, like I, it was the first time I had the realization. I was like, is this how white people feel? Just like walking around the world, like never questioning themselves, like never, ever having to question who they are or where they belong or if, you know, whether or not they're or how their race is going to affect anything that they do in in this world. I saw how my ex-husband was living like that. I started to experience that living in Paris when I started paying attention and I started speaking the language more. And it is something that in some ways I still grapple with. It's a privilege that I have that I did nothing to, to, to benefit from, you know? And yeah. So it's, I don't know if that it is, but. no, it is crazy sometimes when you get a glimpse of what it's like to be someone else mm-hmm. or like something that you take for granted about your own life. Mm-hmm. And you're all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh, that's what it would be like if I yeah. had X, Y, Z, you yeah. know, it must be great. Yeah. It must be this. It must be that like, Oh my gosh, or, or worse or whatever. Anyway, it's uh, those moments though of, of like extreme empathy essentially can do nothing but help, right? With how we relate to everybody else. When you were most down on your luck, in addition to to drinking yourself silly, which I loved. I mean, I don't know. It was really fun to read. Maybe I shouldn't say that. (laughs) The way you wrote about it was super fun. I feel like I just like went out with friends all night. It was fun fun living it until it wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You you hit a point. Yeah. (laughs) But when you were sort of licking the wounds of of the recent breakup and all of that, you decided to start a podcast and yeah. like it, literally I could have written the exact same thing like start a podcast I didn't know how to start a podcast I was recently divorced <laughs> da, da, da. I was like oh my gosh this is like my exact experience and you're like what would anyone listen to me I was you know what would I talk about da, 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 da. and I was like yes keep going <laughs> uh, so tell me about your podcasting experience yeah so my podcast so at the time where I was like okay we're gonna stop drinking all the red wine even though it's very good and it's very cheap <laughs> stop drinking it we're gonna like you know Turned on invites, which is really hard for me. Like, I love going out and I love being like on terrasse and like hanging with my girlfriends and like doing all the things and checking out the latest like wine bars and restaurants, whatever. So, really hard for me to say no. But at that time, to keep myself company, I was reading a lot and I was also listening to a lot of podcasts, in particular, Call Your Girlfriends with Amina Tussauds and Anne Friedman, because I yeah, felt yeah. like they were my friends and like, sitting new, here with uh, me. She just announced a new book deal. Amina Tussauds? No, Anne Friedman. Oh, lovely. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I, I was listening to them and I felt like, I felt like I was like one of their friends and I was listening in on a very intimate conversation between two girlfriends, just going to podcast anyway. So they were doing a good job. And so at that time I was, I was doing that. I was not going out. I was cooking for myself, but I was, I still, I was looking online for other women's stories, particularly American women in Paris that were divorced and decided to stay. And all I kept seeing 
was, yes, and my beautiful husband, Guillaume, we have this beautiful apartment right off of Saint Boulevard Saint-Germain and both of our kids dressed in Jack Hardy and we just saw this amazing country house and life is perfect. And it's just like, come on, like being married to a Frenchman sucks sometimes. <laughs> Why isn't anyone talking about that? And I wanted to, so I wanted, I thought that, you know, the American in Paris narrative had space for a different perspective and a different story. And I wanted to tell that. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm a young American woman living in Paris, recently divorced. I'm black. I'm from New York. All the ingredients are there. What are you going to do? Initially, I thought blog. Okay. Then I thought, Satanya, you know yourself. You have zero discipline to give with a blog. <laughs> and you want, because you want this to be, you know, to be a different take on the American in Paris, the American woman in Paris story, why don't you try to also do it in a different medium? Because I was cooking these dinners for one and dinner, cooking dinner for one was the most difficult thing for me to get used to doing after my divorce from TFM. I thought, why not invite people to my kitchen and why not do a podcast? Because it's so intimate. And I didn't, when I write, I think a lot, which is, I guess, normal for a writer. Whereas when I'm talking, I'm just a bit, I'm a bit freer with what I, with how I express myself. And yeah, and I wanted people to feel like they were in my kitchen with me and sharing a very intimate moment with me. And I also thought it'd be interesting for people to experience food using a different sense that they're not used to. So not like sight or smell or taste, but you know, you hear me, if you listen to the podcast, I'm literally like cooking in my kitchen as I'm talking. So you hear me taste things. You hear me say like, oh, this is not good. You hear me forget things. You hear me drink a glass of wine. You hear when I maybe had one too many glasses of wine and I get a little rowdy, but but it's, yeah. So that's why I started the the podcast Um, on one hand to share another perspective of the American in Paris story that is so far from the typical one that we've been fed for decades. And also to, yeah, just be like, what would it be like for people to experience food in a different way than, than what they're used to? How can people find your podcast? Anywhere on Spotify, on Apple, via my Instagram. Just if you Google dinner for one in Paris, like you'll find me and everything, almost everything. Um, <laughs> do you mind if I read a couple of your hard-won pieces of advice in the epilogue? Can I read please, that? Please, go ahead. Here are, are some of the lessons you say will live with you forever. One, making a nice meal for yourself is always worth the time and effort. Mm-hmm. Two, there's no such thing as too much butter. I think my husband lives, lives by that. He's an amazing <laughs> cook. And like literally he was making pasta and I was like, please tell me you did not use two sticks of butter in the pasta. He's like, no, of course not. At least one stick. And I was like, I use one and a half. Like there are only four of us. Three, being open to life and experimenting is often more rewarding in the long term. Mm-hmm. Four, trust yourself and your intuition above all. Knowing when to add, remove, or modify elements of your life that are no longer serving you is key. Five, the end is rarely actually ever the end. It's almost always just the beginning. I like to think of it as another door being opened toward a better path. I love that. Six, your journey is yours alone. Don't judge yourself too harshly because no one knows what they're doing. Very true. (laughs) We're all putting one foot in front of the other and trying to figure it out day by day. Seven, breakups suck. It chips away at your self-esteem and you have to relearn a lot about yourself and your expectations, but it doesn't have to destroy you. Eight, to love and be loved is a brave and courageous endeavor. If it doesn't work out the way you envisioned, feel some satisfaction in the fact that you gave it your best shot. Nine, because you're single or alone doesn't mean that you're automatically lonely. 
being able to feel and be satisfied by your own company is actually your strength. And 10, falling in love with yourself is one of the most profound and special love stories you'll ever experience. I, I stand by it. all of those, especially the letter. <laughs> all of these are so Thank great. You. Thank you. Thank you. You should put these somewhere, like on a poster. I don't know, somewhere. <laughs> Shouldn't like bury them at the end of this book. No, they're great. They're really oh, like rules to live by. You know, it's it's true because when you're when you're an individual going through one of these things, it yeah. often feels like you're the only one who's ever gone yeah. through it or like, how yeah. will I get past this? Or, you yeah. know, and especially in this post-COVID world or our, I, don't, I can't even say post-COVID as I'm sitting here with COVID, but anyway, it's fine. <laughs> but in this like post-COVID world where everyone's had to spend so much time alone, yeah. what does it mean to love yourself? And and cooking for one became so common and and all of that. So it's it's something you can embrace or not. Yeah, for sure. Your question is, what does it mean to... To, to love oneself or practice self-love. I think one of the, and I hope this, I hopefully this came through in the book, but for me, it's just all about self-acceptance, right? It's all about, and it's so easy for us today to, to see what everyone is doing on social media. And, you know, I'm a victim to that, you know, like seeing what, how other people are, how other Americans living in Paris. I'm like, oh, my apartment doesn't like this. Or like, oh my, you know, or like, I don't have this. Or like, I'm still single, for example, in case anyone was curious. Yes, I'm single. If you have a handsome brother that's between the ages of 33, 37. <laughs> okay. Um, we're not too specific there. Okay. <laughs> I have a feeling that's only like scratching the surface of the requirements, but we'll yeah, let you go have that. Like, I have a six page list, but anyway, it's really about like acceptance of oneself and, and one's life and one's journey. And I think that's the biggest thing that dinner for one in practice, you know, just doing the podcast and sharing my story and writing the book. Um, now I started these supper clubs for single women in Paris where they come to my place and I make a meal and we like just feast on our lives of being fabulous single women. That's amazing. And yeah, I think that's the kind of red thread and theme that is a part of like my little dinner for one universe I'm trying to create. It's just like as hard as it is and it's not every day. And sometimes we, you know, we have really bad days where our self-esteem is in the dumps, but that happens. We're human beings. It's just all about, um, yeah, accepting and, and being um, oneself. And it sounds like it's simple. You know, you say it like, oh, yeah, I love myself, accept myself, accept myself for who I am. But it's really hard to do on a daily basis. And I think we need to, it's just people. We need to give ourselves a bit more leeway to be flawed and to not be perfect and to not have it all figured out. And to just like, as I said in the book, take it day by day. So true. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off, $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from, so you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash moms don't have time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash moms don't have time. Have you connected at all, by the way, with Natasha Sislo, S-Z-I-L-O? She has a book called All Signs Point to Paris. Wait, where is oh, it? Let me write it down. All, yeah, name. All Signs Point to Paris. It's different. It's a different type of love story. It's more, but I, I think you will relate. She ends up descending on Paris to try to find the love of her life based on a certain birth date that she got from an Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my God. I, me and my, oh my, I remember, I remember her Instagram actually. My friends and I found her Instagram years ago. We never knew what happened to her. Like, we, me and the, yeah, me and a bunch of girlfriends were, were like actively following her oh because it was gosh. like an astrological sign or something, yes, no? Or like yes. a yeah. told her. Yeah, I remember. I didn't know she wrote a book. Okay, yeah, I'm definitely going to read it. I was. I wonder what happened to her. I want to put you two in touch because you two yeah. should like do an event about Paris or. Yeah, yeah I would love just, that. I think you awesome. like. She's so fun, and um, I feel if nothing else, I know you'll like each other and have some shared experiences. Oh, that'd be so, awesome. Um, Hopefully Did I she ever it. find her dude? Or is I'm that not going to tell. I'm not, oh not going to tell. You'll have to read her book. Oh my God. Okay, fine. Okay, I'm actually, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, okay. I, uh, yeah, okay. I have like books that I, you know, that are on the docket and I'm in my mind trying to figure out, okay, what can I push back so I can oh, figure wait, what is that? I'm so curious. What is on your docket? Uh, so I just discovered Andrea Lee. She's a, she's right for the New Yorker. She's an American woman that lives in Italy um, and I just finished one of her books, um, Lost Hearts in Italy, which is just, it has me, it still has me in a chokehold. Like, really? I still think about it. Yeah. It's about this African-American woman named Mira. She's like from an upper class African-American family from Philadelphia. She marries a high school sweetheart, this guy named Nick. They went to Harvard to get, no, her college sweetheart went to Harvard together. It's like both like very well-to-do families, super educated. Nick gets a job in, in Rome. Cool, Right investment banker in Rome in the eighties, like why not? But then Mira finds herself like falling for this seemingly just like disgusting, like older, very rich Italian man that she pretty much seems to hate, but she more or less blows up her entire life for him. And it's just, for me, it's really interesting to read about an African-American woman that was doing everything so right and she just had this instinct, this feeling in her to like rebel, even if she didn't know that, even if, even if it wasn't a conscious act necessarily, she just kept going in a direction that was so far removed from 
her picture perfect life. And I just found that interesting. So now I want to read everything that Andrew Lee has ever written. Is it L is it L E E or L E I G? L E E. L E E. Okay. It's amazing. And I Oh, it's so long, but okay. So I just got this from an English bookstore here in Paris that I love, New Daughters of Africa, an international anthology of writing by women of African descent. First of all, that's like the best cover I've ever seen. I right? love art. Aren't you obsessed right? with that cover? The wallpaper, whatever that is, the pattern. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Beautiful. Yeah, that caught yeah. my eye. So this is on the docket. I'm very excited about this. It's about like, I think like 200 stories. So this is really cool. I also recently bought this book, The History of the Jamaican People. I'm huh. in Jamaican. And uh-huh. One of my projects, one of my writing projects that I've been thinking about is has to do with like Jamaican history, like fictional or whatever. So kind of do some research on that. And in the book, the poem that I closed the book out with is Derek Walcott, one of uh-huh. Derek Walcott's yep. poems. And I am obsessed with him. So I'm just adding to my Derek Walcott knowledge bank. So I got one of his books and I'm going to read that. So yeah. Wow. What part of Jamaica was your family from and when did they come to the United States? My family is from Mandeville. Well, my mom is from Mandeville, which is in the center of the island. My dad is from Clarendon, which is like east. Yeah, more east, closer to Kingston. I was born in Mandeville. I lived there until I was four years old. And then I moved to New York, moved to the Bronx. But my parents were so good about sending me back like three, four times a year. Like I was there summer, Christmas, Easter, spring break, any any chance they had for me to be on a plane <laughs> and out of there, out of there here. I was, I'm like Jamaican. But the good thing, you know, the good thing about that is I feel not only because there's a huge Jamaican population in New York City, right? So it's just, it's just a part of just like the amazingness of New York. Like everyone's from somewhere. Well, everyone's back, you know, everyone's family's from somewhere else. It also made, helped me to feel so connected to the culture, just like going there all the time, being around the food, the language, and also like also being around, being in a country that was majority Black. I didn't realize what positive effect that had on me until I became much older and I met other Black people I didn't have that experience, unfortunately. It was really common for me to grow up seeing Black people in positions of power that were middle class or wealthy, that were doctors, lawyers, et cetera. So I, I never felt necessarily limited. And I think now that I'm speak, thinking out loud, what I mentioned earlier about my parents kind of like sheltering me or shielding me from like racism and discrimination, I think that's one way in which they did that. Yep. Just by sending me to a country where I didn't feel othered at all, ever. And I was yep. there a lot. And uh, yeah, so I'm very connected to my Jamaican culture and very proud of it. And I think that's part of the reason why, because they will always kick me out of the house and send, send me there. <laughs> I'll add another book to your TBR list here. Yeah. Um, have you read Zane Asher, Where the Children Take Us? Oh, no. That was at the Red Wheel Barrow. And I got so taken by New Daughters of Africa. And I give myself a book budget. Otherwise, I'll spend all my money on books and wine. So that's a, <laughs> that is on... I did see it and I want to get it. So, but I, I have, I have, I have peaked it. Yeah. I'm All right. Well, put, keep that on the list somewhere in your queue on Goodreads or something um, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, that was amazing. But she, her mom did such a good job of always presenting her with these amazing Nigerian role models. She was from Nigeria. Uh, her family was anyway. And how like nothing was too high. In fact, she even took her mirror down and instead covered her wall with pictures of really successful women and Nigerian people who have 
just done these amazing things to motivate her all the time. I thought it was so cool. Anyway, I love yeah, her. She's amazing. So not to keep recommending other books. We are talking about your book, Dinner for One. No, 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 please. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. That's all I want to talk about with everyone is like what they're reading because I don't know, it gives you such an, if, yeah, for me at least, it gives you such great insight into just like how people think and like, you know, where their interests lies and lie and like, you know, kind of get into their brains a little bit, which I like, like, I can't date a man adding to the list. I can't <laughs> date a man that doesn't read. So if your brother or cousin or friend between 33 and 37 does not read, <laughs> don't send him my way. Uh, <laughs> you know, I always thought that would be the case for me too, but actually my husband does not really read my second husband for a variety of reasons, whatever. So often I end up reading to him out oh, loud. Yeah. And it's so nice. Like the stuff we've read together. I used to do that particularly at the beginning when I had more time, (laughs) but still sometimes, you know, even articles or whatever. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, we have to read, let me read this to you. And let me read this. That's cute though. That's really lovely. I mean, so so don't, maybe don't make that a Okay, I take Maybe that appre- back. Appreciation of books, <laughs> yeah. appreciation, appreciation of, story. of books and literature. Yeah, that's, and a, that's, a, that's, a, yeah. that's that's you're right. You're right, Debbie. I take it back. I take okay, it back. fine. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. All right. Well, any advice for aspiring authors? Because I didn't even touch on the fact that you actually wrote this whole book as well as lived this whole story. <laughs> I, did. I wrote the book. I would say it took a long time for me even though I had an agent and um, my agent was so amazing in helping to guide me through this like proposal process and all this stuff, because this is my first one. And, you know, thanks to her guidance, I feel so much more confident as I approach like my second book, which I'm sort of working on. (laughs) And I would say like, really, truly, honestly believe that your story matters. Like I, if you know, once you read the book, which hopefully, hopefully you will, when even I started the podcast, I was like, who's going to care about like, boo-hoo, you, your husband, you and your husband got divorced, but you're like living in Paris and you're single, like sad story, girl. <laughs> you know, I didn't think that anyone would actually care. And, you know, or yeah. And same with the book. I, even as I was very much into writing the proposal. And then when I got the book to writing the book, there were moments where I was just like, who, who the hell, who gives a fraction of a frog's behind? about me and my life in Paris and like my, you know, experience cooking dinner for one. But in fact, what I've come to to discover and and learn is that, you know, there's so many people in the world that are either living the same experience or something similar. And just the fact of you putting yourself out there, whether it's through fiction, whether it's through a memoir, it can help so many people in addition to yourself, help you process whatever you're processing. And it just... I think it helps to break this barrier of this barrier that we kind of, I think tend to automatically have with other people gives each other, it gives us a sense of each other's like humanity and and vulnerability. And most importantly, I think it just stories help people be, you know, be less mean to each other, Yes, you know, because you can like, you can connect with someone's story. Like a mom is a mom is a mom, whether you're white, black, Jamaican, Turkish, American, French, a divorced woman is a divorced woman, whether you're young, old, black, white, you know what I mean? Like a young woman is, you know, so I think that's what stories do the most and share, that's what you're sharing your story, no matter what format it's in, whether it's fiction, memoir, graphic novel, whatever it is or whatever it is you have to share, it's going to be helpful to definitely yourself and someone in the world, someone one of, out of one of us, seven billion souls in the world, a couple of us are going to be like, you know what? God damn it. 
that writer was onto something. Well, so. I am one of the people, what would it say? Like a fraction of a frog's butt or something? I'm not sure that that's where I thought I would find myself today, but I guess I am in that club of the fraction of the dog's butt who cares about your story, you know. It's it, anybody who get who gets through something emotional to me, I am all in. And I don't judge by where you live or how lucky you are in this way or that way. When you go through pain and an experience that you have to find the strength to overcome, I love that. I find it massively inspirational. And one last thing, I know we're running out of time. I didn't want to um, keep you, but I just, I also, in writing this book, or what I was thinking about rather when I started the podcast and we read this book is the narrative around divorce. Like it's either, yeah, girl, woo, part spring break Cabo 2020, you know, 2010, or it's, I will, you know, I am now a jaded, sad, old person that doesn't believe in love anymore. That is completely <laughs> just out of it, just, you know, and there's in between, there is the Cabo spring break and there is the jadedness. And I wanted to show that like, you know, even if divorce, your divorce is, or your breakup of a long-term relationship was for the best as mine was, it still hurts and it's still trauma and you can be okay one day and not okay the next day. And that's fine, but it's not like a, it's not like a dirty word, you know, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. I felt for a long time, a lot of shame around my divorce. And I think in doing the podcast and writing about it, I freed myself from that because there's nothing to be ashamed of. So, you know, I, as one, a comedian, I watched a comedy special the other day, Daniel Sloss, and he was talking about relationships. He has this amazing thing about the jigsaw, jigsaw relationship, whatever. And he said that, you know, time in a relationship does not equal success. And it's so true. You could be with someone for 15 years, I mean, miserable for like 14 out of those 15 years, but just because you stayed together, doesn't mean that your relationship is in any shape or form, like an example of success. And yeah, I think I'm looking forward to seeing more stories, whether they're fiction or memoirs about that nuanced kind of place where divorce can sit in one's life, one's history of one's life. Well, I'll start recommending more of those things. <laughs> please, please, I, please. Uh, yeah. Well, We'll have to get a, a glass of wine and discuss. Me. Next time you come our, to our Paris, mutual divorces or whatever. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know lots of great wine spots. Or yeah, or you can come out to dinner for one, but you don't cook. That's a requirement. Dinner for one, you have to cook. I okay. make a mean tuna salad sandwich. <laughs> Not perfect. Perfect. It's, if that's your favorite dinner for one, the tuna salad sandwich it is. It is. Isn't a little perfect. celery, a little relish, <laughs> just the way my mom made it for me. So perfect. Anyways. Perfect. There's a story behind that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hopefully this is just to be continued of our conversation yes. in some way. But thank you for thank you for this book and for our, our chat today and maybe for drumming up a latent interest in cooking, but I think I'm gonna <laughs> smash it back. <laughs> You're welcome for everything, the chat and the the potential desire to make a fancy meal. Okay. <laughs> All right. Take care. And I'll connect right. you with uh, Natasha after. Okay, great. Thanks okay. so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.